Hi, I'm Must Reader, and this is my podcast on rationality, transhumanism, and trends of development of society and tech. Today, here with me is Aubrey de Grey, number one person in the world who fights aging. Hi, Aubrey. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad you came to Russia. Did you already drink some Russian vodka? I am not really a vodka kind of guy. But you should, if you didn't. All right, come on then. I have special glasses that we use in ah, Russia. Okay. You know, we are prepared. <laughs> I thought uh, it's kind of weird that you, as an expert on aging and uh, on prolonging your life, um, have a healthy attitude towards alcohol. <laughs> I think it's always important to understand that everybody is different in, thank you, in their metabolism. Some people have much stronger alcohol tolerance than others. Some people have much better tolerance of high-sugar diets. Some people have much better tolerance of exercise. You know, some people need more, some people need less. I'm a lucky guy. I am well-built. Somehow or other, my biological age is very much younger than my real age. Um, even though I do not do any exercise, really, and I eat and drink exactly what I like. So I don't say that everybody should live the way I live at all. I say that everybody should pay attention to their bodies and do what works for them. Wow, this sounds like a toast. So in Russia, we drink uh, vodka not as a long drink, but we drink it as a shot. We yeah. take it as a gulp. No, I'm not, I'm not doing that. You're not doing that? No, I like to enjoy my drinks. But we, in Russia, you know, we have harsh conditions of living. We don't enjoy it. We drink it uh, to, make, to make our hearts beat faster, you know, not to enjoy it like a connoisseur's uh, yeah, gourmet. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Grigory, this is the summer. <laughs> I will drink it the way okay, I want your, to drink your it. rules. Indeed. To longevity. To longevity. Let's start from the basics. Um, I'm going to ask some silly questions that uh, I, as a uh, Debian transhumanist, uh, already know something about, but most of our viewers don't. Okay. Uh, first question. Is it possible to combat aging at all? Isn't it like a natural thing that happens to all of us? Our bodies degrade and we get older and get sick and die? This is not a stupid question. People naturally presume that aging is something that is inevitable because they see that everything gets old. But what this overlooks is that we already have very successful, effective ways of preventing aging in simple machines. For example, we have cars today that are more than 100 years old. And those cars were not designed to last 100 years. They were designed to last maybe 10 years. The reason they have lasted longer is because we know enough about how they work and about what goes wrong with them after 10 years that we can stop those things from going wrong. And the way we do it is simply by, by repairing the damage that they are accumulating early on, before that damage becomes so severe that the doors of the car fall off. For the human body, it's exactly the same. The human body is set up to tolerate a certain amount of the damage that it does to itself throughout its normal operation. 
but only a certain amount. And therefore, if we are able to repair that damage before it becomes excessive, before it starts to make the body work less well and eventually not work at all, then we're done. That's all we need to do. So my work is all about figuring out what those repair strategies need to be. Can you name some examples? Well, the easiest example to explain is stem cell therapy, because this is something that most people are already familiar with. What is stem cell therapy? If we think about it, really all it is is we put cells into the body that can divide and transform themselves into replacements for cells that the body needs. So then we must ask, why does the body need new cells like this? Why shouldn't it just create cells on its own by the division of the cells that are already there? Why? And the answer is, well, in most cases, that's exactly what it does. But in some cases, in old age, it just doesn't know how to do that. So the cells die, but they are not replaced by the division of other cells. So what we are doing by stem cell therapy is augmenting, helping what the body already does most of the time and just making it do it all the time. Is it already working? Are there people uh, regularly receiving uh, doses of stem cells and prolonging their lives? Stem cell therapy is not as easy as I'm making it sound. There are lots of details to be worked out. So certainly it is still experimental. But right now, there are indeed stem cell clinical trials going on, which means stem cells being given to people, uh, but they're not available to everybody yet, just to a few people, those people are being monitored really closely to see what happens. But everything's looking really good, even for some of the really nasty aspects of aging, like Parkinson's disease. That's a disease that happens to be mainly caused by this one problem, the loss of cells, cells dying and not being automatically replaced. Stem cell therapies for that are in progress right now in clinical trials. What about um, neurodegenerative diseases? Uh, things that are happening in our brains are so complex and many scientists say that we will never uh, get to understand uh, all those issues fully. So one important, one really, really essential thing to understand about the process of trying to develop medicines against aging is that we don't necessarily need to understand how the body normally works. And that applies just as much to the brain as it does to the rest of the body. All we need to do is allow the body to carry on doing what it normally, automatically, naturally does during, in young people. The reason that we need a therapy at all is because that process that works in young people stops working in old people. And if we can just restore the structure and composition of the body to the same kind of state that it was in when we were young, then the body already knows how to make things work. So if you even talk about the brain, yes, there's a huge amount that we don't know about how the brain works, but we don't need to know it. If we can just make sure that we can put the cells back that are being lost, 
We can remove the waste products, the garbage that's accumulating. So the structure of the brain is back, what, back like how it used to be early in life, then the function of the brain will also automatically be the same as it was earlier in life. What do you do on a daily basis now to prolong your life? Or you don't do anything? What do I do? I don't do anything. And that's for two reasons. The first reason is that I am unusually lucky. I am really well built. So I have had many times over the years I have my, I've had measurements of my biological age. And I always come out really young, far younger than my actual chronological age. They are accurate measurements. They are increasingly accurate. Of course, they get better over time. But they're good enough, yes. I know for a, for a fact that I am unusually healthy for my age. And that means that I need to be conservative. I need to be cautious. Even if I don't know why I'm doing so well, I, my best option is not to change anything. Right? So I, I should not be taking things, even if they might be good for most people, they may not be good for me because I'm already so good. The other thing is, I should mention, you know, I have a very busy life. I spend my life on planes, you know, traveling around the world, helping people to understand what this, is, what, what this whole thing is all about. And so I don't get nearly enough sleep, and that's definitely bad for me. But it's not very bad for me. You sacrifice part of your life to this cause. I guess you could put it that way. Well, that's noble. Uh, in Russia, nowadays, it's really trendy, the movement of biohacking. It's, uh, it's a new word uh, in Russian language as well. Uh, so-called biohackers take 20 to 30 pills a day uh, to prolong their life, to make uh, their bodies stronger, etc., etc. Some of them even take uh, illegal substances. Some of them do microdosing of LSD, MDMA, or macrodosing, um, all those kinds of things. And uh, it's really trendy among my uh, circle um, of communication, many, many trendy millennials uh, are interested in this thing. Uh, am I right to assume that you are skeptical of all those well, measures? Well, I have a complicated opinion about this. On the one hand, I think that the idea of self-experimentation is perfectly legitimate if that's what you want to do. It's got a long history. Many, many people, including really smart people, have chosen to experiment on themselves. So it's your own choice. I don't have a problem with that. Also, I know that many of the people who are doing this right now in order to help themselves live longer are aware that, the, that even if it goes wrong, you know, still, that's information. That's yeah. data. And they know that the best way to help everybody, not just themselves, is for that data to be gathered under the supervision or the instruction of people who know how to analyze such data. So in many ways, the biohacking movement is valuable. And even though I would never encourage someone to do self-experimentation if they don't already want to, Um, you know, we can still use this data if it's gathered and analyzed in the right way. But sure, I'm not that kind of guy. You know, I, I, I'm not a risk taker in general. I'm not an early adopter in general. But I don't say that nobody should be.
Okay, let's come back to the problem of aging. Uh, what are your estimates uh, on how soon we can make any progress with that? Because uh, for the last decades, I don't think there has been any significant progress in prolonging life past the 80s. Well, first of all, we must be very careful what we mean by any progress or any significant progress. Because the fact is, no, there has been significant progress in the past. Like what? If we look at the trajectory of lifespan, in the, even if we just stick to the industrialized world, the wealthiest countries, then yes, since World War II, it has not risen as rapidly as it rose in the previous century. Right. Because in the previous century, the main driver was the elimination of infectious diseases. Antibiotics. And that's, well, and actually just hygiene, yeah, really. Hygiene. Right? And that's more or less done now, certainly in the industrialized world. But the fact is, it was already done by World War II. And since then, we have still seen a significant increase. Due to what? Maybe 15 or 20 years of increase in average lifespan. So yes, you're quite right. Due to what? It's not due to infections, because that's already been done, so it must be due to something else. And the answer is, the elderly are not dying so, so often. Now, of course, the correct question is, why are the elderly doing better? And indeed, it is not, in general, because of medicine. There is some contribution from medicine, yes. Medicine for the health problems of late life are improving. But actually, most people think that the main reason is because people were born in a more prosperous environment in, let's say, the 1930s, 1920s, than what they were 50 years earlier. And prosperity matters a lot because it turns out that One's longevity is heavily influenced by one's early life. Even before you're born, the micronutrients, the diet that your mother has, turns out to matter a lot. So, of course, in, what, in some way this is bad news, because what it means is, again, we're going to hit diminishing returns. We've more or less fixed that problem now. You know, people who are dying now, people who are 70 or 80 or whatever, they were already born in a relatively prosperous environment, in the industrialized world at least. So we need something new again on top of that. And that's what we're working on. New therapies that can actually be applied to people who are already old and genuinely rejuvenate them. Can you name uh, examples of successful discoveries in this field uh, throughout recent years? So I already named one successful area in this space, which is of course stem cell therapy. But over the past 10 or so years, there have been many other big successes. Now, I want to emphasize they are at an early stage. In general, they are only now moving into clinical trials for the first time, or maybe they won't move into clinical trials for another year or two. But still, in the laboratory, in mice, for, for example, they have moved forward far more rapidly than even 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, one great example is the removal of waste products from inside cells. So this is the thing that causes us to get some of the most important diseases and disabilities of old age. Atherosclerosis, for example, or macular degeneration. That's the number one cause of blindness in the elderly. These things are caused by the accumulation inside cells of 
molecules that the body does not know how to get rid of. It's just like they, the body didn't bother to develop ways to do that. Evolution didn't care because these things only rise to a level that's bad for you late in life when evolution has stopped paying attention. Um, but we have developed ways to identify other species, especially bacteria, that are able to break down these substances. And we have stolen their tricks. We have identified genes in these bacteria that encode enzymes that can break down these things, and we have put those genes into human cells, and they work. I mean, of course, we have to do a lot of experimentation to modify them a little bit so that they work and so that they're not toxic or anything, but we've done that. So now we are, like, probably next year going to go into clinical trials for a therapy that reverses macular degeneration. And also next year, um, a therapy that eliminates the oxidized cholesterol that accumulates in the arteries and causes atherosclerosis. Really big things. That's really exciting. I wonder how many billionaires right now who are quite old and want to prolong their lives try out these experimental things. Are there many of them? Well, unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have enough billionaires on our books. I mean, first of all, let me be clear. These therapies are not yet proven. We may still have to go through some more work to make them really be safe and effective. We know that they are effective in principle, in the laboratory, in model organisms like mice. But as with every medical therapy, there's always going to be some more work to do to make sure. So that may take a few years. But also, I think what you were really implying by your question is that maybe wealthy people are going to get access to these therapies first. I don't think that's actually going to be true. I mean, maybe they will get them first, but other people, everyone will get them very soon afterwards. Why? Because they, those therapies will pay for themselves. So if you're the president of a country, the prime minister of a country, right, or you're in the government, and you have the power to decide whether these therapies should be just determined by the market, you know, and they should be only available to wealthy people until they become cheaper, or the alternative, where you use taxation to make them available to everybody. The question is, what are you going to do? Now... Depends on the country. No, wait. Doesn't. And who rules it? You may think it depends on the country, but actually I don't think it does. Of course, different countries vary a lot in terms of how much they like taxation and, and all that kind of stuff. But in this case, these therapies are going to be so valuable economically that everybody is going to make the same choice. These therapies are going to pay for themselves many, many times over, really quickly. Because they Just will cut costs for medicine? Because they will, for many reasons. One of the reasons is they will make medicine cheaper, yes, Prevention is always better than cure, and these are preventative. These are therapies that are going to stop people from getting sick in the first place. But that's just a small part of the economic benefit. The main economic benefit is going to be because the people who get these therapies are still going to be youthful and healthy and able to contribute wealth to society. So those people are not... At the moment, when people get sick... They stay sick, right, in old yeah. age, and they just suck up money. 
right? They are just a huge expense for, for, the, for the country. Whereas if people are still healthy, however long ago they were born, then they won't be sucking up money, they will be able to contribute money by staying in the workforce or by any other means. And many people have said this over many years. They've said, look, the, the, it's, it's often called the longevity dividend. Even a small increase in longevity, like seven years, that's the number that they, the, the original, original study looked at, it's going to, I mean, it's silly numbers, trillions, trillions of dollars are going to be saved as a result. But if the cost of those longevity measures are Billions. higher... No, but they Billions. Be I mean, they might be really expensive by the standards of normal medicine. They might even be billions of dollars. But a billion is a very small fraction of a trillion, right? So you don't think it's realistic, uh, a world like, like the altered carbon series, for example, where ultra-rich can live for thousands of years and ordinary people know? Definitely not. I mean, this is a big problem for me. A huge amount of science fiction has been written that talks about a post-aging world in which the therapies to defeat aging exist. And for whatever reason, they're not available. So, you know, go back to Logan's Run, you know, where everybody who reaches the age of 30 is shot. You know, or in time, you know, where it's... You know, I mean, there's... And the thing is, you have to wonder, why are these movies or books or whatever, why are they so popular? What do you think? Well, because uh, most people are pessimistic about the future. That's not it. The reason is, most people are terrified of getting their hopes up. They've spent their lives believing that aging is going to get them, right? And they have made their peace with it. They have tricked themselves into thinking that aging is a blessing in disguise. It's a part of life. Well, it's a blessing, you know, like it gives meaning mm -hmm. to life. Yeah. Or, you know, otherwise dictators would live forever. Or... Doesn't it? Well, so people think this. But if you, look in, in, if you look objectively at any of these objections, whether, it, I mean, dictator, I mean, come on. Last I heard, dictator is, a high, has a, is, is way up at the top of the league table of risky jobs. You know, not many dictators actually die of aging in the first place. And furthermore, the ones that do die of aging, they've usually organized their succession before they die, so they're effectively immortal anyway. So, I mean, as a reason for not developing medicine that keeps people healthy, you know, it's fucked up. There's no way that this makes any sense. And you can do the same thing for all the other objections, like, oh, where will we put all the people? Or, you know, how will we pay the pensions? Or, you know... You know where will we put all the people, by the way? Well, there actually won't be all that many people. If you do the actual mathematics on this, which nobody ever bothers to do, of course, because they want to believe that this is a, an, an, insol an unsolvable problem, right? then actually the trajectory, the rate at which population will grow, will not all be all that scary. And the thing that it needs to be compared with is the rate at which we will increase the carrying capacity of the planet. Remember, the whole idea of overpopulation is not about how much space we have. Right now, every single person on the planet could have like two acres of yeah, land, yeah. right? Um, the problem is the pollution. And the pollution is already being solved. We're already seeing that 
renewable energy, you know, solar and wind and so on, is taking over from fossil fuels. And it's not happening because we've suddenly woken up and said, oh dear, climate change is really important. Still, the world is far too complacent about climate change. What about change. food shortages? Wait, wait a minute, wait, one thing at a time. Okay. But it's happening anyway because renewable energy is becoming cheaper. So people can make money from it. Yeah, that's true. Right. Now, let's look at food. Same deal. At the moment, no, food is too expensive. There's not enough of it, and it could get worse if things stay the same. But they're not staying the same because we're inventing artificial meat, for example, which, I mean, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, before the therapies I'm working on are even going to arrive, artificial meat is going to be cheaper and tastier than normal meat. So suddenly we're going to have easily enough food and we're not going to be having the environmental consequences that agriculture has. Now, at the moment, agriculture contributes a huge amount to climate change, to greenhouse gases. And then you can look at other things that are problematic, like water. People are worried about how, you know, there's not going to be enough water. But hello, there's this thing called desalination. And historically, it's been really, you know, impractical, far too expensive. But it's getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And just by the technology. You know, if you take these things into account, it's easy to see that we just don't have an overpopulation problem at all. Okay, uh, that was uh, quite an impressive refutation of many points, but I think the main objection of uh, ordinary people to what you're suggesting is that uh, life uh, loses its uh, meaning without some finite point. Uh... Right, it's just laughable, isn't it? I mean, come on. Hello, oh dear. I would like my mother to get Alzheimer's disease because death gives meaning to life. I mean, would you say that? Nobody says that. Exactly. So it's completely, obviously, internally contradictory. Nobody actually is rational about this. So everybody tells themselves a lie about this? Exactly. Because they're afraid to die. Because they're afraid to get their hopes up. They have already made their peace with aging. They've already decided to believe that aging is a blessing in disguise. And having decided that, when new information comes along that says they didn't need to worry about getting their hopes up, it really is going to happen, it might be in time for them, then they don't want to re-engage. They've already made their decision. That's the hard part. People are deliberately irrational about this. Don't you think that still uh, life uh, and lifestyle of people is going to change significantly, enormously, if we reach the point where we stop aging? Sure. If we stop aging, then people are, you know, you're going to be able to keep up with your, your granddaughter on the dance floor, you know? And that's a pretty good thing. It means that there will not be this generational separation between people where you don't understand your granddaughter anymore. You know, sure, there are many, many ways in which society will change, and I look forward to all of them. To immortality? Well, at least to the end of aging. To the end of aging. I think actually it's quite important to distinguish between those two things, because... The word immortality, if you use it to describe our work, is part of the problem. 
It's part of the tricks that people use to pretend that this is science fiction and it's never mm-hmm. going to happen mm-hmm. and they shouldn't really think about it. You know, we all know that actually we're not really talking about immortality because, people, because people can still be hit by trucks. You know, the world yeah. can still be hit by an asteroid. And immortality means no death from any cause, right? So this is not immortality. Immortality is a word whose definition already exists, right? Yeah. Um, and we shouldn't be reusing it in this, crazy, in, this, in this wrong way. And if we do use it in this wrong way, or if we let other people use it in this wrong way, then it, it, it makes our job harder because it helps them to reject what we're saying. Yeah, like that's immortality. That's like uh, science fiction bullshit. Exactly. Okay. But still, don't you think that uh, immortality may one day be possible if we upload our consciousness uh, somewhere? To be honest, no. Even if we were to figure out a way to transfer our personality, our consciousness to different hardware, you know, to, to, do a, to computer hardware, for example, so, you know, if a supernova goes off very close no. by, it's going to fry silicon, same as it's going to fry biology. So, no. Maybe we leave the solar system. Well, the, the universe will die at some point. Yeah, uh, you see. Yeah. But it will be a long lifespan. Yeah, but it's already going to be long. I mean, I certainly think that without uploading, without any transferring or anything, we're still going to be able to make our fragile, wet biology last a very, very long time. What's your estimate? Well, I don't really have one. You see, because the risks of death from other causes are going to go down. You know, already we're developing self-driving cars, right? That will very much reduce the risk of death from road accidents. And... As soon as we bring aging under real medical control, we will start to care a lot more about other causes of death. We will put more money into vaccine development, for example, mm-hmm. things that will preempt pandemics. Yeah. You know, people very worry a lot about this, and they should, but they don't do anything about it you know, to stop people, stop new infections from coming along that could kill a lot of people. But they will when that becomes the major potential risk of death because the current major risk of death, namely aging, has gone away. Right? And it's the same with asteroids. You know, we, um, you know, we don't look nearly hard enough for, other, for asteroids that might hit the planet, but we could. And we have plenty of potential ideas for how we could you know, divert an asteroid so that it wouldn't hit the planet after all. Even bigger things like, you know, supernovae. You know, supernova goes off nearby, we are totally toast, right? But... You know, what's happening there? It's a physical process, a star exploding. Now, you might think, well, you know, how could we stop a star? How could we stop a star from exploding? Well, I don't know today how we would do that. Maybe a Dyson sphere or something like that? Well, I mean, the point is, we've got a very long time to work it out. I mean, there's a very small probability that some star nearby could become a supernova tomorrow or in the next hundred years. But it's very, very, a very small probability, right? Now, if we look at the next, let's say, 10,000 years, I think it's very likely that we will have figured out a way to send, you know, robots into stars or to fill them up with new hydrogen so that they don't actually go critical after all. You know, that's the kind of thing we should be thinking about. 
Yeah, but first we have to combat aging and to win this, this war. And as we already discussed, uh, most people are not thinking about this problem, although uh, it is one of the most important problems that we as humanity face today. How to change the mentality of people? Well, the first thing I want to say is that we don't have to change the mentality of everybody. Of decision makers, at least. Not even decision makers, not even all decision makers. People with money, then. Exactly. And also, you know, just people in the right places. So, one thing I said on stage yesterday at Geek Picnic was, I love coming to Russia, because here, there is far less of the idiocy. You know, most people get it. Most people understand aging is a medical problem, it's something that we will, in principle, be able to fix sometime, and therefore, the priority is to try to fix it sooner rather than later. In Russia, I have a really positive reaction to my work. It seems like you guys get it better than most people. But in, in the rest of the world, in the West, um, it's, it's improving every year. Every year it's easier for me to tell these, the, the, these things and get people to really understand that what I'm saying is real. So, yes, people with money, over the past three or four years, there has been an explosion in the private sector companies coming along with good investment that are taking this rejuvenation biotechnology forward. Now, absolutely, we do need public policy to move in that direction as well in order to support the building of infrastructure yeah. and the training of medical personnel and so on. And that's only going to happen once we also have a significant shift of public opinion. When a lot of people start to start to actually speak out and say, yes, we should do this, so that policymakers see that there are votes in it, right? Yeah. Because ultimately they just want to get re-elected, right? Um, and that's happening too. You know, more and more people are realizing this is not just science fiction. That's why I spend so much of my time on stage and on camera, you know, and you know, doing so much media, just to educate people, just to get people to understand where we're at and we're not back in the pre-medical era where this was off-limits to medicine. This is going to happen. So you think that the attitude is changing? It is changing. Of course, I would love for it to be changing faster, but it is certainly changing. And you said multiple times that the funding for your fund, SENSE, uh, and for other organizations that deal with these problems is uh, really tiny in comparison to many other problems. Like your fund has uh, several million dollars uh, per year? Five million dollars per year, that's right. This is nothing. It's a ridiculous number. It's a ridiculously small number. The good news, though, is that we don't have to do all the things that we used to have to do. I describe aging in terms of seven different types of damage that accumulate in the body. And, over, and when we set, set the foundation up 10 or more years ago, almost all of those types of damage needed our help because they were just not being worked on. There was one type that didn't need our help, and that was stem cell therapy, which is the way to fix the loss of cells, cells dying and not being replaced automatically. We did, we've, we've done hardly any work on stem cell therapy, and that's simply because we haven't needed to, because other people have been doing the important stuff with other funding, because it was already an established idea, an established field. We have been trying to push the other six types of damage to that point, and we have mostly succeeded. Three or four of them, anyway, have moved to a point where we have been able to spin projects out into startup companies 
that get actual investments. And we don't need to fund them anymore. And that investment that they're getting from people who want to make money out of them is actually, I mean, it's not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's enough, but it's a hell of a lot better. It's pretty much enough. So now, so we at the foundation, in the non-profit side of things, are only getting maybe $5 million per year to spend, but we have fewer things to spend it on. So we are getting to the point of solving the funding problem. Mm, are you optimistic in your uh, estimates on how soon it will happen? Well, of course, when you say it, it will happen, you know, there are different it's, right? So, how soon? Uh, the, the speed uh, of prolonging life will uh, outrun the speed of aging. So this is something that I have called longevity escape velocity. And I, current, my current estimate is that we have a 50-50 chance of reaching that point, longevity escape velocity, within 17 years from now. Okay? 17 so, years. Yeah, 2036. 2036, okay. Yeah, right? um, now, that's a 50% chance. And that's, of course, extremely speculative because this is pioneering technology and for any pioneering technology, we know that many things could get in the way. So for sure, there's at least a 10% chance that we won't get there for 100 years. Right? But so the hell what, you know? At the end of the day, a 50% chance of saving 100,000 lives a day is quite a big deal. I'll take it, right? So that's my current estimate. And even that may come down. I mean, it has come down by more than one year per year <laughs> over the past few years because we've made really great advances recently that have made me more optimistic. Sounds good. Um, what would you recommend... Uh ordinary people who want to become, if not immortal, but to live past their hundreds, uh, what to do right now? Well, first of all, I want to say that you don't need to make the distinction between being what you're calling immortal, which I said you shouldn't, right? Okay. And um, living past 100. Because the fact is, once we have reached a point where we have extended average longevity by 20 or 30 years, in other words, where most people live beyond 100, right, then we're done. We will, have, we will have got to longevity escape velocity. And the progress that will be made after that in new research that makes our therapies better and better, that therapy will stay one, head, one step ahead of the problem. So if you get to, if you get to 110, 120, you're, you're done. There's no way you're going to die of aging. That's my, that's my, I'm sure of that. Only if you get hit by a truck or something. That's right. You're not Self-driving die, you're, you're truck. Not, you're not going to die of aging. That's right. Um, so, so then, um, I mean, your question really was, you know, what can people do? Yeah, right so, now. Right. And, of course, then we have to ask the question, what can people do to hasten the defeat of aging? Because the fact is you can't do anything to prolong your own life. We know that nothing that exists today actually works. So the only way you can increase your chances of making the cut is to bring the cut closer to you, not to get yourself closer to the cut, right? Um, and, of course, then, of course, it depends on who you are. You know, so wealthy people can support this thing financially. Biologists can get into the most effective, most important areas of medicine that are, not being, that are being neglected. And I, we, we, of course, we advise people on that all the time. Anyone who's watching this, this, this broadcast can write to us on our website. You're hiring. 
on our website. Oh, no, 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 we, aren't, well, we, we, we do, of course, the link employ... link is in the description, by the way. We do, of course, employ people, but I'm talking about people who may be employed in other ways, but they have a choice about what areas to work on. We can help them to make the best choice. Um, then if you're a journalist or a conference organizer, you can publicize this work by getting me on stage or on camera, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, but of course, everybody can do advocacy. Everybody can talk to their parents, their family, their friends, their colleagues, and just raise the quality of the debate, the understanding of all of this. That is fundamentally the way that we're going to make this happen sooner. Uh, what do you think about cryonics? Oh, I'm extremely in favor of cryonics, and I think it's an extremely severe tragedy that cryonics is still such a backwater, that so few people take it seriously. Fact is, it makes perfect sense that we should be able to preserve somebody in the state, of, in the state that they're in just after they have been declared legally dead, and then in, with future, better medicine, we can bring them back. You know, I think the only reason that there's a problem here is, again, a psychological one. Just as with aging, people need to put it out of their minds. Similarly with death, people prefer to feel that there is some kind of instantaneous thing that happens, that you're either alive and then you're dead, and there's nothing in between. Yeah. And biologically, that is nonsense. Death is a process. Yes, death is a process that takes some time. And it's a process that can be arrested. So the only thing that makes cryonics difficult is that we are still at the point where the process of stopping the decline that happens after your heart stops um, is a process that involves freezing, which imposes, incurs additional damage to the body over and above the damage that got you to be legally dead in the first place. So the research that's ongoing right now is to reduce that additional damage that is caused by the freezing process. And there is really fabulous research going on, but it's going far, far too slowly because it doesn't have any money behind it to speak of. That's a tragedy. Uh, for those of you who are interested in cryonics, uh, we have had a two-part podcast with Danila Medvedev, one of the leaders of uh, the only Russian organization dealing with this, Kriarus, you know him, right? Okay. Yeah, Terminal Reading, Terminalne Chtiva in Russian. It's only in Russian. If you speak Russian, check out the description for the links to this podcast. He has explained all the issues regarding cryonics, and I, I also feel optimistic about it. Because I ask this question, uh, since we are not sure whether it will happen within our lifespan, the uh, terminal, the velocity that you longevity, <laughs> longevity escape velocity. If it if it happens, if it doesn't, well, I think cryonics is our only choice. You're completely right. Everybody needs to take care of their health as best they can. That's why we have health care. That's why we have health insurance. And signing up with a cryonics organization to be cryopreserved if you become legally dead is just health insurance. It's just health insurance. It's just the same logic. Finally, I'd like you to recommend some books that you like, maybe on the issues of aging and transhumanism, maybe just fiction books that have influenced you. 
Well, of course, the first book that I need to recommend is not fiction, and it's certainly not something that influenced me. It couldn't be, because I wrote it. Um, Here it is. And yes, it's been translated into Russian. It's called Ending Aging in English, and it's a very thorough description of the nature of what aging is, the problem, you know, the different types of damage that the body accumulates during life, and of course also the different ways in which we propose to repair that damage and keep people biologically young even when they are chronologically old. To be honest, I have not really been influenced in my life by other books. I have mainly been influenced by just seeing how, by bad examples rather than good examples, by seeing how appallingly um, scared, cowardly people are when they think about hard problems and how I might be able to come and, you know, get people to be more courageous. Let's drink one last time because you, you have something left. I'm very glad that you like Russian and Russian vodka. <laughs> Come back again. We have the spirit of transhumanism. We have the spirit of you uh, do. searching for it. Cheers. Nazdarovia. You don't say that really, though, do you? Oh, sometimes. Nazdarovia. <laughs> and thank you to all of you. I encourage you all to get involved in this crucial crusade. This is the most important crusade for humanity right now. And the sooner we win it, the better. We can do it.